This is The Conversation on member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Bill Dorman. As you heard earlier on NPR, the coronavirus has a new name, COVID-19, but concerns about its spread remain the same. Here in Hawaii, there is still no confirmed case of the virus. The number of people in quarantine here has now risen to three dozen, all but one of them under self-quarantine, the other on base at Pearl Harbor. In Hong Kong, it is a much different story. At least 50 cases of the virus and at least one death. Mike Chinoy is a journalist who lives in Hong Kong now and has done so off and on since the 1970s for a total of 25 years. He was CNN's senior Asia correspondent and bureau chief in Hong Kong and Beijing, a former colleague of mine. He's now a non-resident senior fellow at the U.S. China Institute at the University of Southern California. And he joined us from Hong Kong to talk about what daily life is like in the city these days. People are nervous. They're worried. It's a new virus. Nobody knows how serious it's going to be. Uh, Everybody uh, above a certain age here has memories of the SARS epidemic in 2003, which I lived through, uh, which killed several hundred people and crippled Hong Kong at the time. And so the sense that they're kind of reliving that very scary history, uh, I think, affects the way people look at things. So uh, what it, what has happened here is uh, that uh, the streets seem very empty. People aren't going out as much uh, at rush hour, the subways. Uh, you can always get a seat now. Um, uh, so there's a kind of eerie uh, stillness to, to life here. Uh, the other thing is that the, there's a very strong sense that the government here, which was uh, roundly criticized for the way it uh, handled the protests uh, in the summer and fall and was unwilling to respond to demands for political change voiced by huge proportion of the population, has proved itself to be equally incompetent now. And so there's very little faith in the government. And what that's meant has been with a sense that the government is not on top of the situation. So, for example, there there, there have been absolute uh, shortages of face masks. Uh, they ran out very quickly. Uh, you can't get face masks. You can't in the, shop, in the drugstores. Um, you can't get hand sanitizer. Um, and... There's no sense that the government has kind of gotten to grips with this. And unlike any number of uh, neighboring uh, localities, uh, Macau, for example, the former Portuguese colony where the government very aggressively set up a system to supply face masks, that's not happened here. There were rumors that because of the disruptions in China, uh, shipments of toilet paper were going to be affected. And the result is now you literally cannot find toilet paper in Hong Kong anywhere. Uh, and... and uh, uh, you have these uh, images of, of people lugging, uh, you know, multiple packs of toilet paper staggering out of the uh, uh, of the pharmacy or the drugstore uh, because nobody knows uh, where you can get it. So to some degree, daily life has, for a lot of people, turned into this search for uh, getting the basics. There at one point were a, a run on, on supplies of rice. Uh, uh, people constantly, when they meet each other, we all talk about, you know, do you have enough face masks? Do you know? Do you have enough hand sanitizer? Uh, I was changing emails with a friend the other day, and I said, if you were up for uh, venturing out, I'd be happy to meet for coffee. And she sent me an email back and said, I don't dare to go outside now. So it's very stressful. 
and there's no sign that it's going to get better anytime soon. You know, the contrast between Hong Kong and Singapore, which oh, yeah. is underlined by various events at, at different points, but in terms of yeah. response to this crisis comes through very clearly. Oh, yeah. I mean, but, I mean, you know, even little old Macau, which is generally Hong Kong people look down on it. Um, you know, the government, you know, the moment Facebook ran out, the government secured a supply and set up a system. Everybody can get so many face masks per week and stuff like that. And the government here is hopeless. You mentioned that distrust of institutions. I think back to the days of SARS and a a real distrust there. Where do people look to right now for credible information? Well, people are going online. Some of the civil society organizations in, in Hong Kong have sort of tried to fill the gap. There, there are, uh, for example, the telegram channels that the protesters set up, the, the Internet groups uh, to organize protests have now become uh, sources of information, people sharing insights. Um, it's a real problem. Uh, the, one of the, 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 the government here is just absolutely tone deaf and doesn't have any good political skills. So, for example, when the chief executive announced on a couple of different occasions uh, that the government had decided to uh, allocate space in certain neighborhoods uh, to put people uh, who get quarantined, uh, it was done without consulting the people in those neighborhoods. And so you had people taking to the streets, and there have actually been clashes with police. The images look very much like last summer in full, although on a much smaller scale because people are worried about congregating together. Uh, but the same images of, of, of angry people chanting and riot police behaving in a heavy-handed way. Uh, so, so people are really at a loss, and I think that adds to the sense that Hong Kong is uh, in very, very deep trouble, and people look around the region and they see other governments uh, doing a better job. The other very contentious issue was that early on, as the uh, virus exploded in China, there were calls for the border here to be sealed for at least a, a, a temporary period of time that people coming from China should simply be blocked to prevent the spread of the disease. And that's happened elsewhere. Singapore, for example, uh, is, is one of several countries that have said we're, we're not going to, we're temporarily not going to allow people from China to come. But the Hong Kong government refused to do that, uh, initially insisting it would hurt China's feelings and then saying it would be impractical. And there are lots of logistical questions because there are thousands and thousands of people who live in Hong Kong and cross the border to work every day and vice versa. Uh, but in the end, medical workers here at the public hospitals went on strike to demand that the border be closed. So you had this uh, astonishing scene with uh, cases multiplying in Hong Kong and uh, multiplying exponentially in China. Uh, and large numbers of uh, doctors and nurses at public hospitals refusing to work to demand the government close the border. In the end, the government didn't close the border, but they reduced the number of crossing points uh, very dramatically. And there's a new rule now that anyone coming from the mainland has to self-quarantine for two weeks. So, uh, But still, it didn't inspire confidence, and people don't have confidence, and that, that makes people uh, more anxious. You mentioned the uh, 14-day quarantine for, for all visitors from mainland China that just went into effect uh, over the weekend. And one aspect of that, again, people outside Hong Kong maybe don't have a um, handle on the numbers, but annual visitors from China to Hong Kong have been running at about 60 million people a year. 
Uh, this is this is quite the back and forth, as you mentioned. Yeah, there's a lot of back and forth. Although interestingly, uh, because of the protests uh, that erupted uh, last summer and continued throughout the fall, the number of visitors from the mainland. Uh, has dropped very significantly. Uh, the, the Chinese authorities curbed those numbers, uh, partly because mainlanders are becoming targets of protesters because there's a lot of antipathy to uh, the Chinese government, and that is, has been reflected in antipathy to mainland visitors. Uh, so in point of fact, compared to previous years, the numbers in recent months uh, have been very considerably down. And you do hear people say, you know, in conversation, uh, well, think how much worse it might have been had the relationship between Hong Kong and the mainland uh, been what it had been normally uh, like uh, up until some months ago. We would have had huge numbers of mainlanders crossing the border, for example, to do shopping before the Chinese New Year holiday or come to Hong Kong for the Chinese New Year uh, holiday, which was at the end of January. Uh, so there are some people who say that, that the, the tensions which produced a sharp drop in the number of people from the mainland uh, had a silver lining in the sense that, that significantly fewer people from the mainland were coming in recent weeks, and perhaps uh, that has meant that, that fewer people uh, would have come uh, carrying the virus, although obviously that's purely speculative. You mentioned that you lived through the the SARS crisis in Hong Kong, which peaked in 2003, and the aftermath of that, and it's an unfair question, but as you, you look ahead in terms of Hong Kong coming out of this, and yes, it depends on, on how it ends, but what changes in terms of assumptions about Hong Kong? Well, there, it's a very complicated question. I do, at the moment, the, the protest movement uh, of last year has kind of simmered down. There haven't been any large-scale political uh, protests, and that was that was true even before uh, the the outbreak of this disease. Although it was an open question whether it was just a lull because it was the New Year and then the, the Chinese New Year and the school vacations and so forth. Uh, and now, of course, everybody's preoccupied with this disease. Uh, when you mentioned 2003, um, uh, at the end, when the SARS outbreak finally subsided, uh, in July of 2003, there was a huge demonstration. A half a million people marched through the streets against the government. And it was primarily because the government at the time uh, had proposed introducing uh, a national security law that that was going to uh, uh, in many people's minds, uh, threatened civil liberties here. Uh, but there was also a lot of anger at the way that the government had handled the SARS epidemic, and that protest forced the government to uh, uh, abandon plans to introduce the national security law and eventually led to the resignation of the territory's first Beijing-appointed chief executive, Tung Chi Hua. Uh, my own sense is that the anger at the government uh, even though it's not being reflected on the streets now, um, is still very strong. And what you're getting uh, now that has been very striking has been a lot of uh, people and organizations that are traditionally associated with being pro-Beijing and would have been critical of the protest movement have been vocally critical 
of the chief executive, Carrie Lam, and of the way the government has handled this. So what may be happening is uh, that people who've been on opposite sides of the political fence over the substance of the protest movement last year uh, are coming together with a shared anger at the government. And it would not surprise me at all if this disease subsides as uh, spring goes into summer and hot weather uh, comes back, which is always bad for influenza viruses, and, and doctors get a little bit of better handle on it. Uh, when this eases, I wouldn't be surprised to see a real explosion of discontent back on the streets uh, in, in which you have a, a slightly different combination of people because there are going to be a lot of people angry at, at the government. So I don't think the political uh, turmoil here uh, is over. We're, I think the, the, whenever this outbreak subsides, um, it's going to come back, and in some ways the anger is going to be greater because uh, it's one thing to discuss political issues. It's another to feel like the government is incompetent in the fundamental responsibility of the government, which is to help keep its citizens safe. Mike Chinoy, he's a non-resident senior fellow at the U.S.-China Institute at the University of Southern California, lives in Hong Kong, where he's lived off and on since the 1970s, including several decades of work at CNN. Also the author of a book coming out next month, Are You With Me? Kevin Boyle and the Rise of the Human Rights Movement. Mike, thanks for joining us, and uh, be careful out there. All right, good to talk to you. Take care.